0: One
1: bomb on Hiroshima.
0: it being i leader. Mr Gorbachev. Tear, Tear down my balls. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cold War show, episode 98, or as we think of it, Ho Chi Minh, part two, Ray. Yes, yes. Ho two, two ho. You've on some hoes in your time, Ray. How does Ho Chi Minh compare?
1: Um... Oh, my God. I I have a lot more respect for him, and I only want to take him out to dinner. That's as far as it would go. Just to talk. I just want to talk to him. I bet it would be a lot of fun.
0: At the end of the last episode, we talked about uh, how Ho was invited to attend the French Socialist Congress in 1920, gave this big speech, 12 minutes long, delivered without notes. Not a great speaker. Um, but he got some applause. Uh, but that was about it. Yeah. He realised that French socialists were more worried about their own affairs at home than about colonialism in a distant land, and and they were more interested in talking rather than actually doing something. <laughs> um, bit criticism that's given about us a lot. Um, and they were just reading books. These French socialists, um, he realised, and he goes, "You got, it. you get all your knowledge from books." <laughs> and I'm not, I don't think I that's. Can't. Yeah, uh, did, worth. That's, there's no value in that.
1: Did you get the impression from a reading about this Congress, and about all the, the Congresses, and all the meetings, and all the stuff over the years, that when the, uh, when they meet in Tours, the, the main question is, should they join Lenin's Comintern? And like you said, he, he just had the, the successful revolution in Russia. So they're talking about all these important issues. They're talking about all these weighty issues. What they're not talking about, to the satisfaction of Ho, is what the, the colonial policy is going to be. Is it going to change are they going to fight it? Are they going to try to change it from within? No one is talking about his number one issue. And even though he's learning things along the way, he is getting frustrated with this process of inactivity.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I can understand. I think the, the view of the French socialists at the time is, look, we want to fix our own country first, then we'll come and fix yours. And he's like, well, <laughs> Fuck you! I don't have time to wait, right. wait for that, bitches. Um, What's that
1: going to be? And...
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, when are you going to get off your asses and do something? Right. Now, when uh, the, the, a group of the socialists broke off uh, to form the French Communist Party, Ho went with them. And one of the reasons was he had recently read Lenin's book, Theses on the National and Colonial Questions,
1: mm. uh,
0: where, where Lenin actually talked about the importance of supporting the nationalist efforts of uh, oppressed colonial people, uh, and, and, and it was something that um, Hoag got very excited about. He saw it as a way of getting support for liberating Vietnam. Now, the other other sort of Marxists at the time, socialists, were really thinking about uh, how to achieve a classless utopia in their own countries. Mm-hmm something that that Ho didn't really care about at that juncture what he really cared about was kicking the French out <laughs> of his country yeah and in his theses Lenin spoke about the connection between capitalism and imperialism oh. and how it was sort of the responsibility of socialists and and, and the Bolsheviks to support these nationalist movements. Because he explained that if you wanted to overthrow the capitalist system in advanced industrial countries, one of the ways to do that was to get rid of their ability to rely on uh, exploiting the economic conditions of these third world countries. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he, he Lenin recognised, and he, he got this from Marx as well. But he recognised that your advanced uh, capitalist economies were surviving on their imperialist uh, uh, um, colonies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were they were using that to find markets to sell their shit to to get free uh, or or cheap uh, supplies for their country, and if you could cut those things off, you'd be able to uh, uh, do damage to the capitalists. Now, he said that in order to do that, Lenin this is, in order to overthrow the capitalist system the communist parties would need to actively cooperate with the nationalist movements in these countries, in Asia and Africa in particular. And he understood, though, that many of these movements were controlled by the middle class in those countries, the natives in the middle class, Mm -hmm. who, in the long run, weren't going to be sympathetic to a communist revolution. Right. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. Now, who said that first, Ray?
1: Oh, uh... Do
0: you want to take a guess?
1: I'm just going to guess Caesar Alexander because we've done shows on them. Who? Mm,
0: good guess. Wrong, <laughs> but good guess. Jesus. Right no, time. No. Right time period. Uh, Alexander. Anyway. Oh, one of his um, um,
1: diadokes? No. Oh,
0: but you know that 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 country that he. Wanted to invade, but they wouldn't let him. His generals, India, India comes okay. from India. Oh, okay. The earliest known expression of it is found in Sanskrit, uh, in a, a, a treatise on statecraft, the Arthasastra dates to around the fourth century BCE. It says, "The king who is situated anywhere immediately on the circumference of the conqueror's territory is termed the enemy." The king who is likewise situated close to the enemy, but separated from the conqueror only by the enemy, is termed the friend of the conqueror.
1: I'm glad that got pared down over the centuries.
0: I had to read that a couple of times, to be honest, (laughs) before I got my head around it. Um, Basically, it says, You're the conqueror. If there's a king in front of you, then he's your enemy. If there's another king on the other side of him, then that other king is your friend. At least in the, short the king term. in the middle. Right. Yeah, the king <laughs> in the middle is both your enemies. Right? <laughs> I like that. But yes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Okay. Uh, and then and then the next time it turns up is really during the Cold War. During the alliance between uh, the Allies, uh, and the Soviets. Right. That's really where it starts to become used a lot. I think the first recorded use of the English version was in 1884, but it really becomes popular during um, sort of, you know, the the Tehran and Yalta conference periods. Right. Do you remember Yalta? Wasn't that great? <laughs> we did 25 episodes on Yalta. Those were the days. Anywho.
1: Where were we? Aren't you glad? Yeah. aren't you glad no, we did that? No, but yeah. I, I. But you're you're right about Ho Chi Minh. He's like twenty nine, thirty years old, and I'm getting the sense that he's a virgin. I have no idea, but when he reads Lenin's very practical, almost a blueprint, and it's specifically about the colonies, about you know, at the very least, why colonies should be helped. I mean, he's got to get excited about this. He's, he's finally you know, someone is writing about something that he actually hit the only thing that he cares about. And he truly gets excited about it. And I think to a certain degree, he is maybe converted, if not to Leninism, at least to the uh, Lenin, the man himself, he is absolutely excited to find someone focused, someone writing about the main issue of his life.
0: Yeah. Lenin was like, fuck yes, (laughs) we're going to come and help you guys. Now, Again, Lenin recognized that it was the ability of these Western capitalist countries to exploit the raw materials and the local markets of these underdeveloped countries that was actually sustaining world capitalism and preventing its collapse. Now, he was right on this, and we've talked about this before in the show. The American economy was very, very weak uh, during the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, suffering from uh, depression after depression after depression, and they realised they needed to find international markets that they could get access to to mm-hmm. export their products to. Um, so that and that was true of all imperialist countries, right? Oh, yeah. America went about it a different way to the 19th century version or the 16th, 17th, 18th version of century version of colonialism. They figured out we don't actually need to go and yeah. you know plant the plant the flag light hand anymore. Yeah. Yeah, particularly Particularly after World War II, we're the only guys left, so we just need to say we've we got the bomb. Do we need? To, we don't need to plant a flag when no. we've got
1: the bomb and our hand on your wall. Do
0: you understand? Right. We've got the come. I want to show you something. Here's a photo of Hiroshima. No, here's Hiroshima before. Here's a before. Here's Hiroshima later. Now, do you have any questions? No, good. Our, go out. our manufacturers <laughs> will be arriving tomorrow. Please make them feel welcome and oh, roll out the red carpet. God.
1: Pretty much in a nutshell.
0: By the way, uh, Mr. Prime Minister of Underdeveloped Country, do you want to have a job next week? You do? Great. Because <laughs> yeah. we can make your job go away right. at, at any time. Um, just, just, just. You know, yeah. if you know what's good for you, yes, we'll set up a secret bank account and put right. money in it for you. It's okay, yeah. yes. Don't you? It's worry. already done. Yes, when when your people finally get sick of the oppression, you can come to Miami and mm-hmm. retire, and you they won't be able to uh, uh, you know string you up <laughs> by your balls. Um, it's okay. We'll look after right. you. Don't worry. Right. Unless of course, yeah. You piss us off and then we'll invade you and, and say, look look what a bad guy yeah. he's been it, all these
1: years. It, it will be us coming for your balls.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, back to uh, Lenin. So Lenin said, cut off the tentacles of colonialism in the far-flung colonies and cap- the capitalist system can be overthrown. Now, Ho... Assured his Vietnamese allies and his party in Paris that communism could be applied to Asia. Now, this was a strange concept. Okay, this is before Mao Zedong. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, Ho is the original. Right, he's the original Asian communist. He was the guy who looked at Russia
1: and went, "Fuck yes, I'll have one of those." (laughs) Thank you very much. No, but you're right, because everybody's thinking they're not ready. They're underdeveloped. They're not organized. These people are not ready for revolution.
0: And they would be right. Now, uh, to remind everybody, from the viewpoint of Marx and Engels, writing in 1860, thereabouts, you arrived at communism. There was an arc to the economic maturity of a country, as far as they saw it in their, their... theory you went through from sort of feudalism to capitalism, from capitalism to socialism, from socialism to communism. That was the the way it was supposed to work. once you had achieved uh, an advanced form of capitalism, the people the proletariat would be ready, educated, uh, uh, smart enough to to realize how the elite were fucking them over on a daily basis. Right. Um, he said, "The sign that a population is ready is when a reality TV star narcissist um, <laughs> becomes the leader of the country. Uh, that's that, when that's you know. it starts yeah. governing from Twitter. That's when you know <laughs> it's time for revolution. Your yeah, your <laughs> capitalist economy is ready. We picked." Um, Uh, So you weren't supposed to go like Russia did from pretty much an agrarian society to communism or to socialism, for that matter, as the Russians, in fact, did. Um, And Vietnam was in the same situation. You weren't supposed to jump straight from... Uh, A backwards uh, country Where the people are being oppressed And are very, very poor And have no education Straight to socialism or communism Because it's too hard You know, one one thing that Marx and Engels Realised, yeah, that's too big a leap Right The people are not going to be ready Educationally of word education it is now in terms of their education, yeah, they're not <laughs> going to be ready. The, 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 the infrastructure is not going to be there to make the leap um, quickly enough, right? Mm-hmm. These things take time. you have to you have to wait until all of these systems have been built and like you've got a, an advanced uh, functioning economy, and then the people just take over the means of production. The people go, okay, well, it's all up and running now. Right, thank you. Thank you very much, <laughs> rich white guys. We'll take what? it now. We're already doing the work. Right. We're already just running the factories the and keys. the businesses anyway. All you're doing is sitting in your big fucking office right. smoking stogies yeah. and getting blowjobs. <laughs> yeah. God, so those it's were right. the days. Oh, wait, how, how, how do I get to be a rich guy?
1: <laughs> No, but but you're right. He was saying he was telling the uh, the French Communist Party that look, maybe about two percent of my country is middle class. You know, we're not ready for this. We, we we don't have everything in place for this smooth transition or whatever revolution to take place. Right.
0: We got to work. We got to get there. We have got to work towards it. Yeah. Anyway, Lenin had pledged Soviet support for nationalist uprisings. Um, so this is, he's the only guy Like People go, why is Ho Chi Minh a communist? Because communists were the only people yeah. That were saying, hey, we're going to come and help No one else was doing it Americans weren't doing it right. British weren't doing it No one else was doing it It was Lenin who was publicly saying We will help you overthrow colonial masters Wherever you are Not specifically saying it to French Indochina But we yeah, will help you wherever Putting you
1: it are. out They're walking the walk
0: Yeah Years later, uh, was speaking about reading Lenin's pamphlet, Ho said, What emotion, enthusiasm, clear-sightedness and confidence it instilled in me. I was overjoyed to tears. Though sitting alone in my room, I shouted aloud as if addressing large crowds, Dear martyrs, compatriots, this is what we need. This is our path to liberation.
1: Ooh, nice. Yeah, he was pumped up. 100 pounds of him. Pumped
0: up. So he stays in Paris a few more years, writing plays, writing articles for magazines, reading everything he can get his hands on, um, until finally he came to the conclusion that the French communists cared for the plight of the Vietnamese only slightly more than the other French socialists. (laughs) They just weren't. Right. Again, they were probably more interested in, well, let's get it happening here. Then we'll come and help you. But right now, we we, we have to overthrow the French government first, overthrow capitalism, replace capitalism in France, then we'll come and help you. He's like, I don't have time to wait for this shit. So he decides to go to Moscow. And in 1923, he moved to Moscow hoping to meet Lenin.
1: Did did you get the sense that his time in France, maybe especially the last two years, that he is he's, it's more than frustration. I mean, I think he's trying to. I think he's slowly figuring out these people aren't going to help me unless they take care of France first, and that's who knows when that's going to happen. And, and I'm not saying that he's turning to violence, but he's he knows that this isn't going to be something that I can win with words or i can win with an, an eloquent speech or 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 make a really good point that's not going to do it for me we're going to have to change i'm going to have to go back home we're going to have to change society get it ready for a revolution but at the same time i think he is becoming through frustration more militant something has to happen these people are never going to do anything other than talk and he needs, like you said a minute ago, he needs Lennon. He's he's, he needs someone who is going to actually help him. But I just get the sense that he's actually becoming a little more radical through his frustration.
0: Well, what do you mean by radical? Like uh, ju- just realizing that...
1: Yeah, just that these words, these speeches, these votes aren't going to do it. Something else has to happen. Maybe not that he's figured it out yet, but something other than just sitting around. Because we've skipped all these various committees that he's on, the different entities that he has helped set up, uh, all the people that he's talked to. I mean, this guy has got to be super frustrated. And now, like you said, uh, 1923, 24, he's going to Moscow because he's invited by a senior official, the Comintern. I mean, I, I think he's thinking now maybe something will happen. Mm. Or at least the beginning of well, something.
0: I, I think he thinks that uh, he's, he's impatient. He's running out of time. He's in his 30s now yeah. and uh, nothing's happened. Literally yeah. nothing. He's going, going nowhere. Um, now, in terms of violence, I just want to remind people that the Russian Revolution wasn't a violent revolution. Mm-hmm. I think people often forget that. Uh, the, the November revolution was actually, uh, uh, uh peaceful. Um, the, uh, which was November or February? I can't remember which came first. February came first, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: February revolution.
0: Uh, February came first then the November, but both of them were peaceful, basically. Um, uh, in fact, when the February Revolution happened, Lenin wasn't even in the country. We yeah. talked about this earlier in the series, um, and was telling everyone, "Yeah, it's not going to happen for years. It's going to be years before we're ready to have a revolution." And it happened. He was, "Oh shit!" People, people just went on strike. Basically, people just said, "Fuck it, we've had enough." World War One's going on. They're right. fucked. They're poor. They're like, "Fuck it, we've had enough." They just all went on strike. Zar's sent in the police and the police were like you know what we 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 fucking had, had enough too fuck this fuck you guys um <laughs> yeah. lenin had to go back to oh, uh, you know show me where they are i'm their leader kind of thing <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's <laughs> true <laughs> there there hadn't been a violent revolution yet there, then then there was the counter revolutionary wars that broke out right when the White Russians, the counter-revolutionaries, tried to overthrow the revolution, that's when Russia, the you know, Russian revolution, turned violent. Was when the socialists needed to defend the revolution against the British and the Americans and the the Russian, um, you know, pro monarchy,
1: yeah, powers, Major yeah. Cuts.
0: So, uh, anyway, he goes to Moscow to meet Lenin. He gets there in July 1923, and Lenin is already non-compos mentis and dying when he gets there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that had to be a blow. He, I think, was he able to talk to his wife, or does that come later? Because I know that he, he goes to the house, and he, he's like, no, he can't be seen, he's ill and it had to be a serious blow. It's either now or later. I think it's later now that I'm thinking about it. He does. He is able to meet the widow of Lennon, which still had to be a very big moment in his life.
0: Yeah, but he's not getting the support that he wants. He gets it in July. Lennon's dead seven months later, and no. it was obviously a huge blow to hoe, <laughs> huge blow to hoe, right? No.
1: Um, no. Oh, and he did go to Moscow under a fake name, Chen Vang, a Chinese merchant. So this is, we've we've uh, been skipping over the names, but he's already had numerous names. And his latest name is Chen mm. Vang, a Chinese merchant.
0: Because uh, in part, the, the French secret police or the, the security police are keeping an eye on him. And oh, he yeah. just disappeared one day, got up and disappeared out of Paris. They're like, what happened? He's gone. Where'd he go? We don't know. I thought you were don't following him. Is.
1: I thought you were following him.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. gone. He said, Lenin was our father, our teacher, our comrade, our representative. Now he is a shining star showing us the way to socialism. Aww. So he sticks around in Moscow for a while, attends meetings of the Common Turn, gives speeches about Asian self-determination. But again, he feels like a voice crying in the wilderness. Despite Lenin's writings, I guess the rest of the, the party there are, are trying to recover from his death. They're trying to work out whether or not Stalin poisoned him, and, and they're somebody, uh,
1: yeah.
0: You know, yeah. yeah. They, they, they got their own problems. They're trying to, uh, <laughs> despite <laughs> Lenin's rhetoric. Again, right. they've got their own problems. They're starving, as we've talked about endlessly in our shows. That again, it was too early for socialism, and they, they had a country that was barely uh, into the industrial revolution, and. Massive population, hundred and eighty million people. They can't feed themselves.
1: Harsh winters. They got their Civil own problems. War. Now, and again, just, yeah. just to keep in mind, in December of twenty three, I mean, he is taking courses at the Communist University of the Toilers, where they train Asian revolutionaries. He's doing a ton of writing. He's meeting um, foreign elites like Joe and Chiang Chen shek So he, again, he's meeting a lot of people, and he's and he's putting out a lot of propaganda, and he's even going to write a book, but. The point is, it's kind of the same old thing. It's just in Moscow instead of Paris,
0: and, which is good because he doesn't have the French secret That's police true. trying to arrest him for treason. That's true. Because um, in Moscow, he's one of them. He's a he's a Marxist revolutionary now, and you know he, he's right at home there. But. Um, he doesn't get a lot of support. Even though, as you say, he meets a lot of important people, he gets to know various high-ranking leaders. The Politburo, he meets Grigory Zinoviev, mm-hmm. one of the original members of the Politburo. Wow. Uh, I think he, he, he got killed in the purges, I think, one of the first guys to go. Um, uh, varoshilov one of the original five marshals of the Soviet Union, he gets to meet them. He's seen with them in Red Square. They like him. They're like, oh, you're the <laughs> number one... Vietnamese <laughs> Marxist. If not the only... You're our kind of yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. And he became, he became known in Moscow as a bit of a specialist in Asian affairs. Then in the autumn of 1924, the Soviets sent him to southern China.
1: Mm.
0: Now, officially, he was going there to act as an interpreter for their advisory mission to Sun yat Sen's nationalist government... But really, he was there to organize the first Marxist revolutionary organization in French Indochina.
1: Yeah, so technically he's working, you know, his cover is the Soviet news agency Rasta. He's writing articles, he's sending reports back to Moscow. But yeah, he's been told to create this this nucleus of the Vietnamese Revolutionary Party, Uh, even though Vietnam, like we said, doesn't have much of a proletariat, he's got to do He's got to work with something. And the people that he's talking to, they don't they know even less than him about Marxist ideology. So he's got a he's got a lot of work to do, but at last he's doing something. He's in southern China, he's closer to his country, he's excited, he's actually boots on the ground doing something.
0: Yeah. And he and he publishes a journal. He creates something called the Vietnamese Revolutionary Youth League in nineteen twenty five. And he sets up a training institute where he tries to bring in students from all over Vietnam and teach them how to be Marxist revolutionaries. And it's not just Marxism and Leninism that he's teaching here. He's also developing his own school of revolutionary ethics, which relies a lot on the principles that he learned from his father about Confucianism, and and his later reading as well, of course. So his own revolutionary ethics include... Uh, being thrifty, uh, being prudent, respect for learning, modesty, generosity. So it's Marxism, Leninism, Confucianism, all rolled up into Ho's own version of communism.
1: If I can just throw this out real quick, um, I guess, I don't know if you want to call him a true communist. Again, because this guy is very practical for him. It's all about Vietnam and the rest of it can just go away. But while he's in China, Southern China, I mean, he's meeting people from the Chinese Communist Party. He's meeting from he's meeting people from the Kuomintang uh, Nationalist Party. So he's getting, he's a bridge. If you will, he's meeting all these important people because he will talk to anyone who will theoretically even maybe help him um, with uh, trying to get the French out of Vietnam. So again, this guy, even though he's coming from Moscow, and I'm sure he's sending reports back to Moscow, he's a very practical person. He is willing to talk to anybody who can help him with his goals. And so I think that's maybe why some of the historians have trouble trying to nail him down. Is he a communist? Is he a nationalist? Was he really any of those things? And it's because he was willing to talk to anybody who could help him that probably muddies the waters.
0: Mm. Now, in 1927, 1927, Chiang Kai-shek began to crack down on the Chinese left. He was like, listen, we're all about having a nationalist government, but uh, fuck this communism bullshit. We don't want that. It's time to go. So, yeah. So he starts cracking down, and the institute that Ho had set up was disbanded. Now Ho is being chased by the Chinese police. He has to get the fuck out of there. He goes first to Hong Kong and goes back to to Moscow. And then the Comintern decide to send him to France. (laughs) Uh, First, he goes to Thailand, though. Right. Where he spends two years organizing sort of Vietnamese revolutionaries there. Um, But then in 1930, he creates the Vietnamese Communist Party uh, based in Hong Kong. Right.
1: And, and, and between, and, um, I'm sorry, between Southern China and this moment, he's had two more names, one of them as a priest. But yeah, in 1930, he, uh, he he gets the two Vietnamese Communist parties together. They've got egos that neither one of them wants to disband. So he's, look, kill both parties, take away both names, create a new party, come together. And that actually works for these guys. So he's he is finally getting somewhere. He's got his Vietnamese Communist Party things are looking up for this guy. I just thought it was funny that he had to get them to put their egos aside in order to make any kind of uh, progress with them.
0: That's always the problem with uh, revolutionary parties. They suffer from the old Judean People's Front problem.
1: <laughs> are you the Judean People's Front? Fuck off. What? Judean People's Front. The People's Front of Judea. You dear people frank oh, <laughs> wipers. <laughs> Can I join your group? Now, nah, piss off. I didn't want to sell this stuff. It's only a job. I hate the Romans as much as anybody. Shh, shh, shh. Are you sure? Oh, dead sure. I hate the Romans already. Listen, if you wanted to join the PFJ, you'd have to really
0: hate the Romans. I do. Oh yeah, how much? A lot. Right, you're in. Listen. The only people we ate more than the Romans are the fucking Judean
1: People's Front. Yes. Yes. Splitters. Splitters. And the Judean Popular People's Front? Oh, yes. yes. Split. And the Parliament. People's Front of Judea yes. Splitters. The People's Front of Judea
0: splitters. We're the People's Front of Judea. Oh. I
1: thought we
0: were the Popular Front. People's Front? Whatever happened to the Popular Front? Right? He's
1: over there. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Love that shit. <laughs> and we're going to fight for your right to be a woman, to have a child. Never mind, but that... Um, too funny.
0: <laughs> and men. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's always the problem. These revolutionary parties, <laughs> they, they can never agree on anything. And they always get caught up in the slightest bit of fucking doctrine, and they like, "Fuck <laughs> right. you,
1: fuck you." Well, that's so the great thing about these Ho people. Ho has to
0: bring them all together.
1: Yeah, they don't know much about it, so that's kind of the great thing for them. But, but this is a very big moment for Ho. This is a he's high. Ho is high fiving himself at this point. He's finally got something. His country now has its own communist party. It's only been what twenty years or whatever. Good for him. And.
0: Uh, eight months after they created on uh, Moscow's instructions, it's renamed the Indo Chinese Communist Party, the ICP. Right. And and so Ho is very good at working people, and now and and bringing them all together. Now the the French security services heard about the ICP pretty quickly, and they singled it out as the most serious threat to colonial authority. Oh. Uh, and started devoting most of their resources to figuring out who was running it.
1: Right. Now, for me, this is a really big opportunity for him because now he's got the Communist Party. The effects of the Great Depression are being felt in Vietnam. There's massive unemployment. There's uprisings. um, But again, the Vietnamese aren't really organized enough to have any kind of revolution. But the point is, the tension is mounting. Maybe finally this Communist Party can get some traction, get these people on their their side, and actually start to do something against the French.
0: And if there's nothing there's nothing worse than a tense hoe, Ray. I don't know if you've, uh, <laughs> you, you don't want your hoe being tense.
1: No, you're like, uh, your job is to relax me. <laughs> how can you relax me? <laughs> are you looking behind my shoulder? What's back there? What are, what are you doing? You're, you're, that's why I pay and tip up front, because mm. I really want them to be relaxed. It just It's better for Damn everybody it. involved.
0: If you get a tense hoe, then your hoe needs a hoe to relax before your hoe can <laughs> be your a, hoe.
1: That's expensive, but it's, it could be a good threesome. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, so
0: the the French uh, trying to figure out who the leadership is. So, Ho's kept constantly. He's not in France, by the way. Right. And the French, the French are, you know, obviously uh, <laughs> keeping an eye out for them all over the world. Uh, he's constantly on the move in the 1930s. He'll spend bit of time in Moscow, then he'll go back to China, then he'll go back to Moscow, using different names every time. <laughs> right. He's very sickly, a bit like Augustus yeah. uh, and Che Guevara, um, not, uh, not in robust health, uh, still very poor, uh, on the move constantly. And then in the mid-30s, obviously, uh, things start to change. Uh, on a a geopolitical level. From 1936 to 1939, the French authorities started to ease up uh, on chasing down Ho and his team because they had a popular front government in Paris that allowed communist parties in the colonies to have a little bit more freedom. Right. Right. So, uh, and the, the Soviet Union and the Western democracies were sort of joining forces for a while in the late 30s to combat the rise of fascism. Obviously, the fascists didn't like the socialists and vice versa. Right. Despite people still <laughs> trying to tell me that the Nazis were socialists because their name was National Socialist.
1: Oh. <laughs> They should Nazis focus on the hated national- the socialists. Yes. Focus on the nationalist yes. part of it, not the socialist part of it. That's just what me. Hitler used to say. Listen, just <laughs> we you focus
0: more on the nationalist part of our name. We just listen to me. We are the nationalist
1: socialist party. Okay? Small, <laughs> small there, big yeah. over here. Small socialist. <laughs> small. We write this nationalist part in big capital. <laughs> <laughs> German letters. The socialist with very tiny letters down the bottom. If I could just mention some other drama for Ho. Of course, during the 1930s, there were Stalin's purges. And because Ho's been around for so long, that sounded bad. Um, and because he's met so many people, some of the people that he has become friends with have been purged by Stalin. And so there was actually some suspicion about him. But he is going to, to weather through the storm because, again even though he gets accused by some people, they really can't pin anything on him. But again, it had to be a very dicey time for him when a lot of people that he knew were being sent to the gulags and executed.
0: Yeah. Particularly when he's in Moscow. And and then as we talked about, when Stalin takes control too, he scraps the whole international uh, view of communism. He goes to communism in one country Uh, partly, as we talked about earlier in the series, uh, so he wouldn't scare the Western countries as much because he knew he was going to need their help to fight the Nazis. Um, So the support for nationalist uprisings, like the one in Indochina, probably gets squelched at least officially um, by Stalin. He doesn't want to be seen to be uh, supporting revolutions in other countries because it might upset the the, the you know western right. countries. Yeah. But of course that changes then in nineteen thirty nine when Stalin signs his non-aggression pact mm-hmm. with the Nazis. Then the French outlawed the ICP oh, and forced its leaders into hiding again because they were like, well, we were friendly with the Soviets last week, but now <laughs> you've done a deal with the Nazis So, a few thousand French officials are able to maintain effective control over some 25 million Indochinese. Jeez. Um, Now, as the 30s draw to a close, it really doesn't look like there's any opportunity for overthrowing the French Mm -hmm. here. Um, No one in their craziest dreams could have imagined that uh, the French were going to be overthrown in Indochina. But obviously, as we know, when World War II broke out in 1939, the French collapsed like Kevin Spacey's career (laughs) did on A House of Cards. (laughs) Kevin Spacey's career was A House of Cards when it came out that he was trying to force 14-year-old boys into sex at one point in time. Um, (laughs) When the French collapsed uh, Even before they collapsed uh, Ho saw this was his opportunity The French were starting to look weak And if there's one thing You can't
1: afford when you're a colonial power It's to look weak That's true I mean, France had the largest army in the world They had the Maginot Line Obviously all that gets uh, taken out It doesn't matter in six weeks But the point is if you're, if you're Ho Chi Minh, you've got to be thinking, here's, I mean, the French have got to be like, in a very negative way, they've got to be like almost a gods to the, to the Vietnamese. I mean, these people are our lord and masters. They're lording over to us. They have absolute power control, and they themselves were crushed within six weeks. And of course, Ho Chi Minh is the kind of person like, okay, this really bad thing happened to France. How can that benefit me and my people and my cause? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So at a meeting with his leadership team in southern China, he said he saw, and this is a quote, a very favourable opportunity for the Vietnamese revolution. We must seek every means to return home to take advantage of it. Now, when France fell to Germany in 1940, most Americans probably knew very little about Indochina. Still don't. Exactly (laughs) Um, Probably not many had lived there Right uh, Or visited there Why would you? Um, And they had very little reason to pay much attention to what was happening there Yeah Which is probably one reason why the American government did nothing to assist the French authorities in Indochina When the Japanese started sniffing around Uh oh um, the Japanese, uh, in early on in World War II, they're looking for a foothold into China. And they threatened to invade French Indochina. Yeah. But the Vichy government in France, who's now in control, um, collaborating with the
1: Nazis, they were like, invade. don't have to invade. Look, <laughs> Here's we'll, open look. The, we'll open the door. Here's an invitation. See, that's gold lettering. Right there. This is, listen, have you never been in a war with the French before? Listen, <laughs> let me let me tell you how you do it.
0: This is how it goes down. We, we, we declare war uh, against each other. Right. You give us a hard stare. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> we wet and ourselves. And then we will,
0: we, <laughs> and we are French. We do not like <laughs> to be uh, wet ourselves. Uh, no. You know, it's. Yeah. We do not bath very often here in France, and uh, if you pee or if you wet yourself, then you have to have a bath. And, or you smell like piss, and we do not like to smell no. like piss, so we just let you in.
1: Garlic, yes. Piss, no. Oh, here's the <laughs> sticky, other. Stinky cheese, oui. Piss, no. Not so much. Uh, unless you are at the kinky
0: sex club in Paris, where we like to piss on each say, other, quite frankly. Bonjour. That's okay
1: bonjour yeah. <laughs> well here's the other part of it the Japanese um and and actually Ho, Ho Chi Minh and a lot of his uh comrades when he was younger thought about adopting the the Japanese model which has you know pretty much become like the Westerners and use the power and the force of their technology to to fight anyway so the point is Japan has been fighting in China since 1937, and these guys just will not give up. Chiang Kai shek will not give up, and it has become the great overriding embarrassment for the Japanese Empire. And I think, um, what roughly 48% of the arms going to China, keeping them in the war, keeping Chiang Kai shek resisting, is, is going through uh, the northern part of, um, of uh, Vietnam, so the Japanese are absolutely right. They're going to like look if we can go in there and shut that down, then maybe, just maybe, we can get Chiang Kai-shek to come to the to the negotiating table, and we can start to focus on other territory in Southeast Asia because we really need these other um, resources that we can't get from China.
0: So the Americans did nothing to assist the French. Was my point Right. when the Japanese. Uh, <laughs> Uh, were threatening to invade Indochina. Of course, America is not in the war at this stage. Yeah. Now, sensing an opportunity here with the fall of France, the ICP launched uprisings, both in Tonkin, the northeastern section of Indochina, and Cochin, China, the very southern tip. Uh, Unfortunately, a little bit uh, premature, (laughs) and they were brutally (laughs) crushed. Right. Now, you know something about being premature, Ray. Uh, Why did this happen?
1: Well, like you said, they saw an opportunity. However, once the French and the Japanese... Even though they do squabble and there's a little bit of fighting going on, they, they, and we don't have to go into detail, or we can if you want, but the point is there is a clash. The cha- Japanese troops do come down into um, northern uh, Indochina and um but eventually they get a calm so once so once the uh, the fighting stops between the french and the japanese the japanese say no 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 it's your country you administer it we just want to be able to go anywhere we want um and you're not going to say anything about it the french are able to then focus solely on the uprisings and they do come down hard on the locals i think like 8000 people were arrested some villages were just wiped out completely the few tanks and planes the french had which they certainly weren't going to use against the japanese they used mercilessly against the locals and just slaughter lots of people trying to suppress this opportunistic uprising
0: yeah particularly down in Cochin, China, the southern part of Vietnam, um, the ICP was pretty much wiped out. Hundreds of them were killed. Jeez. Uh, and, and by the way, Ho, it wasn't Ho's plan. Ho objected right. to this, but uh, he was overruled by the committee um, problem with democracies in communist parties. Um, they was like, yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big disaster at the beginning for the ICP's uh, revolution. Uh, but despite all of that, Ho still believes the time is right. The French are weak. And so in 1941, he snuck back into his home country. Yes. And it was the first time in 30 years that he had set foot in Vietnam. Damn. How old is he, roughly? It He's 51 when he goes back.
1: So he spent more time outside of his country. That's that's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 51 he is. He gets back into his country for the first time. And he has nothing. The ICP has just been wiped out. Right. He's literally got a handful of guys.
1: Yeah. And he... And... a positive attitude.
0: Yeah. Like uh, Fidel... Going back to Cuba, he's just, he's like, I can do it. I don't need more than a handful of guys. (laughs) Handful of guys is all I need to wage revolution. Right. Handful of ideas and a dream. It's all I need. (laughs) Handful of guys, I mean, and a dream is all I need to wage revolution. So he goes back now.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Bolton. (laughs) Um,. Now, he calls for a, a meeting of the ICP, and he sets up camp in a cave. Sexy. Just a mile over the Chinese border. The, the group uh, sleep on planks of wood in oh. this damp cave. They have only one small oil lamp. <laughs> Their diet was mostly corn soup and bamboo shoots, maybe some fish that they catch in a stream. Damn. Each morning, Ho would wake up early to do his calisthenics and then go swim in the freezing cold stream. And then he would sit down to work at a flat rock that he <coughs> used as a desk. He did have, his, did have his trusty old Hermes typewriter. Right? <laughs> and he would spend the whole day writing, reading, conducting meetings, setting up a strategy for liberating his country from foreign rule. They would sit around on little blocks of wood, around a bamboo table, he and his guys, and plot and plan how they were going to form the new political party that they called Vietnam Doc Lap Dong Minh Hoi, the Revolutionary League for the Independence of Vietnam, better known to most of us in the west as the viet
1: Minh. ah so they're going to try and get the people on their side they're going to come up with slogans and propaganda uh they're actually going to put lenin's idea into practice as far as trying to win over the people and again this is an opportunity for them but you can't just go out there and fight you've got to build a base and so they have to come up with plans for that first get the people on your side
0: And their new platform was not about class struggle Mm -hmm. like uh, typical Marxist, Leninist, communist platforms. It was about national liberation. Ooh. They also said that women were to be an important part of the struggle and were to be given equal rights, something that they didn't have under the French. And... This vision for the future of the country uh, was circulated around Vietnam in June of 1941. He was publishing leaflets, getting them printed, and having them distributed, trying to get the people to rise up. Uh, Part of it read, National salvation is the common cause to the whole of our people. Every Vietnamese must take part in it. He who has money will contribute his money. He who has strength will contribute his strength. He who has talent will contribute his talent. I pledge to use all my modest abilities to follow you and am ready for the last sacrifice.
1: Still doesn't sound like Revolutionary Warrior leading... Ready to kill everybody in his path. Still doesn't come across like that.
0: Well, I don't think that's what revolutionary warriors are ever about, Ray. Particularly mm. communists. That's a, that's a, that's a Western ah. propagandist view of revolutionaries. They're just trying to get control of their own country. They will take out people who are trying to kill them and stop yeah. them. Yeah. But all they want is self-determination for their people. Mm. Now, the new party, the Viet Minh, were communists. They were convinced that Marxism and Leninism represented the best path to the development of their country. But again, they're not talking about class struggle here. They're not talking about building a utopian, idealized society. They're just talking about self-determination of their peoples. That is the goal right at this particular juncture, that's all they're focused on. Not about socioeconomics. It's about self-determination, freedom for the people. Now, the goal wasn't only to get mass support from the Vietnamese people, but also to win the sympathy of the Allied powers Ah. because they knew they were going to need their support at some point in time. Now, surely this was going to be easy because that's what America and England believes in freedom of people to determine their own future. Right, it was the whole basis of the Atlantic Charter that was being written almost at the same time as this was coming out, <laughs> which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. But they were first going to have to deal with the French and the Japanese, who, as you said, joined forces to crack down on the Viet Minh. Then in July of 1941, after they... Signed a neutrality pact with the Soviets uh, and then watched pretty happily as the Nazis invaded the Soviets. <laughs> <laughs> Japan forced the Vichy government to let them send more troops to Indochina, build bases there, occupy most of the south, mm-hmm. including the ports of Camran Bay and the airfields at Da Nang and Bien Hoa. Now, this was going to give the the Japanese a landing pad, a vantage point,
1: which would enable
0: them to... Yeah, springboard, to move against Malaya, Singapore, the Dutch East Indies, as Indonesia was known back then, and the Philippines, which finally got your people to sit up and take notice
1: because... Pearl Harbor.
0: No, because the Philip. This is before Pearl Harbor, oh, but, but the Philippines, as we've <clears throat> fucking try and f- f- keep up, Ray. Because as we've pointed out in previous episodes, the Philippines was an American colony at the time. They didn't call it a colony, but that's what it was. The Americans uh, took over the Philippines in eighteen ninety nine in the war with Spain and said, "This is ours now," and. In 1941, it was still basically an American-controlled protectorate. And they didn't like the idea of the Japanese taking it, so they went, Oi, cut it out, and stop, getting, stop looking like you're going to invade the Philippines. And the Japanese said, Fuck you! <laughs> so this is why FDR f- made the decision to freeze all Japanese assets in the United States and embargoed oil exports, among other things, to Japan. And as we've explained uh, in previous episodes of this series, Japan's tiny little island, they 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 don't have any fucking natural resources, tiny little island, mostly mountainous, uh, they imported nearly everything that they needed. Um, 90% of their oil, they imported most of their... Zinc, iron ore, box, box, bo- bauxite, fucking bauxite. The thing aluminium's made out of manganese, cotton, wheat, everything they imported. They wouldn't be able to survive a year of this embargo unless they seized British and Dutch possessions across Asia.
1: But if I can get back to Vietnam for just a second before we go, because I know time is running out. The important thing, as far as Vietnam is concerned, even though the Japanese can run all over the country, everywhere they want, because there's no way for Vichy to stop them, um, Vichy, the French, if you will, are still technically the masters. Of Vietnam. And for right now, the French, even though they're being humiliated by the Germans and the Japanese, that is very important to them because when this war ends, they can say, Vietnam is still ours.
0: Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. (laughs) So, getting back to the Japanese, uh, FDR puts this embargo on them. The Prime Minister of Japan at the time, Kanoe, he was fairly moderate amongst the hardliners. He proposed to have a summit meeting with FDR where he would indicate to the Americans that he would be willing to withdraw from Indochina as soon as the war with China was set. (laughs) Right. Look, we don't want to control all of these things. We just want to beat China, and then we'll go home. Roosevelt apparently was ready to take the offer, but Cordell Hull, his Secretary of State said no and don't even have the meeting unless they're willing to give up on China because we want China. Remember? Remember President Roosevelt? We want access to China. Exactly. Uh, The open door policy. So the meeting with Kanoe never happened and he was actually ousted as prime minister in October and replaced by Tojo.
1: Right. And and just to be clear, both sides were disingenuous. Uh, U.S. wanted them out so they could have the markets. The Japanese were never, ever going to pull out, but that's something that they said to the Americans. So again, everybody's using big stick uh, politics here. Everybody's out for everything they can get because that's the way uh, imperialism works. And that's what everybody was doing at the time, even though the Americans were telling themselves they were not imperialists. (laughs)
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way diplomacy works. People lie, right? (laughs) You lie to get something that you want. Um, I lie to Heather all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you you get what you want? (laughs) I do. A three-way with... uh,
1: No, No, I get 10 seconds.
0: Hillary Hillary Clinton?
1: (laughs) Oh, God, there goes my erection.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. It's going to take you a long time to get that half an inch back. (laughs) Um, Hull Hey So there was uh, Tojo gets replaced Um, There's still sort of Attempts at diplomatic discussions Between the Japanese and the Americans Um, In November Tojo actually offered to get Japanese troops out of Indochina Immediately And again once There was a general peace restored He would He promised he would get his troops out of China in return for a million tonnes of aviation gasoline. Huh. Ha, um, just give me the gas now, <laughs> and well, my- <laughs> I promise I will pull my troops out immediately. Yeah. Of Indochina and out of China once there's a peace. Hull again rejected that offer, said, No, you got to get out of China and Indochina right now. Now, meanwhile While all this is going on In August of 1941, as I said before FDR and Churchill met for the first time To sign the Atlantic Charter Which we first talked about On this here series Cold War Episode 8 Oh God 90 episodes ago In April 2016 Right Two and a half years ago Seems like yesterday. Oh, right. This is the Atlantic Charter they signed where they promised self-determination for all peoples. And by all peoples, they meant yeah, mostly white peoples. Uh, <laughs> do we have to write that in there? I think we all know. They looked at each other. We, 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 we know. We don't need to actually write no. it. Everyone who reads this is going to know that we mean white people, right? <laughs> no, no one's going to get confused Besides, you,
1: you can't write. Yeah. Well, see, here's the reason. FTR- well, that's yeah.
0: that's the reason they didn't have to worry about. It. Like they were like, well, the 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 darkies and the yellowies, they can't read anyway because we <laughs> no, don't educate them, so the they're not going to know exactly. Yeah, they're so, not going to know what we write, so I just yeah. write it in there. No one's gonna, no one's gonna be confused on our side, and they can't read, so it's okay.
1: No, I just thought it was interesting that FDR was able to lord it over Churchill during the creation of the Atlantic Charter when they were discussing that uh, on board ship uh, because in his first term, FDR gave the Philippines, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, commonwealth status. So they went from out and out, I guess, being a territory to a commonwealth, and the idea was to give them... Uh, complete freedom, you know, in a couple of years after that, or 1946. So the point is like, we, we, yes, we did this, but we're, we're giving it away. And so now he can he can look down on Churchill, who has, like you said at one point, one-fourth of the world under the British flag. So Churchill's not happy about this, but, it's, but it allows FDR to be condescending because even though he was for the imperialist system years ago, he has now seen the light and he wants to get rid of all empires.
0: Yeah, sure he does. We're (laughs) just not going to call them empires. We'll call them something else. We'll come up with a new name for it. But it's different because it's a a different name. name. So therefore, it's not the same thing. Now, uh, remember, um, and we talked about this two and a half years ago, but two weeks before the Atlantic Charter meeting, the Acting Secretary of State, Sumner Wells, Mm -hmm. good old black threesome, (laughs) uh, assured the French government that they could keep their empire intact after the end of the war. It was like, listen, we're going to sign this thing and it's going to talk about self-determination for all the peoples, but don't worry because we mean white people, not the uh, yellow or dark-skinned peoples. Fuck them. We're all good. They're not even really people anyway and they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't know what to do with freedom if we gave it to them. In fact, they probably don't (laughs) even want freedom. (laughs) Uh, they're happy with what they've got, and they thank us every day. Every time uh, every time I yeah. ask my black manservant if he's happy, he tells me he is. And I have no reason to
1: doubt him. And, and here's what you don't know, Cam. After he said that, he flashed the hand signal for white power. And the French flashed it back, and then we're all good. So they they know it's coming. And on. of course, but then
0: uh, the hand signal for white power is asshole in <laughs> well, sign it's language. Not,
1: it's not a perfect. They need to work on it. But yeah,
0: seriously, did no, you? No, I know saw that. that. I saw <laughs> that. You saw that? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Are you? So arsehole. so the French go. The French went. Are you calling me an asshole? No, 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 no. White power. White power. Okay. Yeah, oh. White, white power. Okay. Okay. Um,
0: Sumner Wells was like yeah we don't want to give the darkies their freedom but the freedom to have a threesome with me absolutely (laughs) because I don't know if you remember it's two and a half years ago but it was Sumner Wells that was hitting up some black uh, train 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 uh, tickets guys for a threesome that's right yeah well they had to let him go anyway uh, Sumner getting back to him wrote the US government mindful of its traditional friendship for France, has deeply sympathised with the desire of the French people to maintain their territories and to preserve them intact. Mm. I mean, look, you gave us the Statue of Liberty. I mean, what are we going to do? It would just be rude to not let you keep your oppressive empire. You gave us a statue. You know, that was the deal at the time. You give us a great statue... (laughs) We you let pick. you oppress people. You know. <laughs> the Department of Defense's history of Vietnam, uh, a.k.a. the Pentagon Papers, noted that in the Atlantic Charter and other pronouncements, the U.S. proclaimed support for national self-determination and independence, but also, very early in the war, repeatedly expressed or implied to the French an intention to restore to France its overseas empire, after the
1: war. Ah, I wonder who they were making that aspersions to. I mean, not aspersions. I wonder who they were. Was it de Gaulle? Was it Vichy? Fuck de Gaulle. <laughs> was it Vichy, I guess?
0: No, they weren't talking to Vichy. Um, in late 1942, Roosevelt told the French general Henri Girard, It is thoroughly understood that French sovereignty will be re established as soon as possible throughout all the territories, metropolitan or colonial, over which flew the French flag in
1: 1939.
0: Ah. Well. And then in May 1945, as we'll see in the next episode, Truman, after Roosevelt was dead, reassured the French he did not question her sovereignty. Sovereignty, I'll go with that, over Indochina. But then getting back to 1941, on December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor happened. Uh, you know, getting back to the story of uh, embargoes, FDR had embargoed their oil, Were the, you know, they couldn't reach a diplomatic settlement.
1: Yeah, bank uh, and
0: as I keep saying, economic war is war uh just another way of conducting a war so then pearl harbor happened the fleet the us was moving their fleet to hawaii getting ready to attack the japanese and so the japanese got in first and that was pearl harbor and i think that's where we will end episode 98 or ho chi minh part 2 as mm. We discussed it. We'll be back next week with Ho Chi Minh, Part Three.
1: An and I could-
0: Oh, that was quick.
1: Has descended across the continent.